Welcome to the Hot Sala Cast, the podcast that takes you on an in-depth and behind-the-scenes journey with local Hot Sala and EMS volunteers to hear their stories and get a better perspective on the lives of these local heroes. Now here's your host, Zisha Littman. Welcome back to another episode of the Hot Sala Cast, New Week, New Guest. Um, we're kicking off episode four with a very special guest here on the Hot Sala Podcast. Um, I guess you could say she's the heart and soul of the of, of Hatsala, um, in terms of what she does, and she is she is someone who's very special to the team. And we're sitting here with Dr. Zisi Maltz, who works as the dispatch for Hatsala Beit Shemesh, the local Hatsala organization here in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Um, they are also spon- sponsoring this week's episode as well. Um, if you have any. If you're interested in learning more about what they do on a local level and a global level, you can visit their website at www.hatsds.org. That's H-A-T-Z-B-S.org. And so like, I'd love to welcome our guest, Dr. Zizi Maltz, to the show. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you because, you know, I, I know a little bit about what goes on inside the ambulance. I know a little bit what goes on inside the office and how these guys treat patients, but I never, I don't know what the dispatching side is like. But before we talk about that, what's your story? What's your background? Because I said, you are a doctor. So what's your, what's your background? Right, so uh, as, as a good Jewish mother would say, I'm not a real doctor. I have a PsyD in psychology. That's still a doctor. Uh, That's still considered a doctor. <laughs> That's um, very young children um, and their parents. And that's what I do in real life. Um, separate from my volunteer work with Hatsala. Oh, that's very cool. Um, so in terms of, so how did you end up becoming a volunteer with, how did you get into this world? Like how long have you been doing this? It's a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's go back. Um, I'm not going to say how many years because that's definitely aging me. Um, <laughs> we're over 25 years. Let's, let's leave it at that. Wow. I knew before I graduated high school that I wanted to be an EMT. Oh, wow. Um, I decided that. I grew up in Brooklyn, typical from kid, regular from high school. Um, but somewhere along the way, I got hooked into the idea that being an EMT would be a good thing to do. Um, I knew that at in Brooklyn certainly wasn't taking women. Right. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with an EMT certification, but I knew I wanted to do it. Right. Um, so um, I did. Um, and I went to Brooklyn College, and they have an EMT course in Brooklyn College. It was actually for credits. It was like six and a half credits or something. Wow. Um, yeah. So my first semester, it wasn't being offered. So I took a course then that certified me to teach CPR and first aid. Okay. which was great because then I was like teaching courses here and there throughout college and beyond. Um, and then my second, and I also, okay. So Brooklyn college has its own volunteer ambulance corps. Um, they are made up of students. Um, they, it still exists. They made up of students. They service the campus, which is a good bunch of squared city blocks um, or city block squared plus Midwood high school next door, plus the streets surrounding the campus. Hmm. Um and I immediately joined the squad. They have a whole hierarchy of training and levels that you work your way up to. So I started out as a dispatcher trainee. Um, 
quickly worked my way up to dispatcher. I joined the board of directors, member at large at first, wow. and then I became um, the communications officer, which was basically in charge of the dispatchers, training them, moving them up levels, um, in charge of communication, hardware, the radios, and stuff like that. I often liaisoned with um, security on campus. Um, so that was my role there. I did that for about a year, and then I moved on to equipment officer. So I was in charge of um, supplies and ordering and, and things like that, making sure the ambulances and the kit bags were always fully stocked. Um, I did that for about a year. And all the while, I, I had taken the EMT class um, through the college, and I became an attendant trainee, which was like go on the ambulance and kind of observe and see what other people are doing. I got bumped up to attendant and then crew chief trainee, which crew chief is like the head of the, of the shift. Wow. Um, and crew chief, the one thing I did not manage to do was driver. <laughs> <laughs> when I, uh, when I went to start my driver training, um, I know Lavia talked about yeah. um, in his, in his session now, every ambulance has their own internal training, especially in New York where there's no, uh, there's no standardized training for our drivers, so ours also had like an internal training program for ambulance drivers. And my second or third time out, I somehow managed to hit a double parked, unmarked police car. <laughs> and that was the end of my driver training. Well, he was in the wrong. I'm sorry. He was double parked. <laughs> and the streets around Brooklyn College were like this narrow. Like, but come on, was he was double parked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I did go up to a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I was good at it. Like I, I knew I was good at it, which is part of why I enjoyed it. Um, graduated college, went back to both shifts here and there. Um, was teaching was teaching EMT courses at that point, not the lecture oh. parts, but labs, um, the practical parts. I was doing that at Brooklyn College, LIJ, um, different private courses, things wherever I was needed. I would, I would basically go and teach. Um, got married. Uh, started graduate school, and everything had to sort of peter out a little bit because life got busier. Wow. Um, and uh, and then whatever kids, Baruch Hashem. Um, by the time my my second my second uh, daughter came around, I, I wasn't even recertifying anymore. It was it was just right. all too, too much. much. Yeah. Um, and then we made Aliyah, um, and. Took a while to settle down. Took a while to figure out how to move my actual profession over to Israel. Um, that's not so easy in the field of psychology, as right. in many fields. Where. Um, and then uh, a few years later, I met David Cohen. Um, right after he made Aliyah, actually, hmm. and he, he helped me out with my daughter's bat mitzvah slideshow. That's how we met. <laughs> and. Uh, I actually still have him in my phone as uh, David Cohen Computer Tech because that's just how I knew him at the time. Um, and a little while after that, he called me pretty much out of the blue and said, so Hatzel Bechemesh is reorganizing and they're looking for a dispatch coordinator. Would you like, it's volunteer, would you like to come on board? And I kind of said, well, how did you know that I did that in the mm. States? We never talked about it. He's like, you did that in the States? I know you. You might be good at. So, do you want to do it? And it was great because I was really looking for a way to get my back into it a little bit. I really missed the field of wow. emergency medicine. 
Um, and I was looking for a way to get back in. And this is a really good way because at the time there were no specific dispatchers. There were EMTs who were also driving the ambulance and also dispatching and also in the back and also doing everything, sometimes at the same time, mostly not. Um, Thank God. Right. <laughs> but there were no designated dispatchers. Um, and we started this, this unit of dispatchers, basically. Um, we got training in CPR and first aid. Um, and we had a bunch of people come on board. We wrote up protocols, pretty strict protocols for how dispatch runs. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I ran that unit for, for a few years. I, I came on in 2014, I think. And I ran that unit till um, 2018, I want to say. Wow. Um, at that point, um, at 2018, in October, I had started a new job, was making my youngest son's bar mitzvah, and was running for city council in Beit Shemesh. Oh, really? One time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a little overwhelming, and I handed over the reins of dispatch coordination to Suri Fingerer, who's been doing it since. And I just kept on dispatching, but mm. no longer coordinating. And I also had the um, EFR program that I was running that uh, I hope at some point you'll hear more about. Um, oh, that's really and- so. So you really have an extensive history in this. You have a very extensive history in in this dispatching and EM and, and the medical world. I, I think it's really cool. And you mentioned that when you you're, you first got the itch when you were in high school to to really join Atsala. Um, and inevitably knowing that you wouldn't be able to probably join Hutzel over there. So what do you think about that now, now that there, there's actually in New York, that there is actually an all-women's Hutzel Lake organization? Um, it's interesting. Um, I don't know too much about it. I haven't really been following. I know they've had their ups and downs. Right. Um, there's a lot of politics involved, which yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know too much about. Um, if, if it works, great. You know, um, I, I think it's it's fine. Um, it wasn't my idea when I pictured my own personal involvement. That it wasn't really my idea. Right. I think um, women's hatsala typically, or or in its in its conceptualization, um, works with women. In other words, women patients right. or women and children, and you know, my my personal conceptualization was more whoever needs the help right yeah. now that I'm going to help. That makes um, sense. So, that makes you know. sense. Now, in, in terms of like the dispatching, what is it like to be a dispatcher? Not, not like from where you were in the hierarchy, but in general, like what is it like to be a dispatcher? It seems like with your background in as a psychologist and someone who knows how to deal with people and understand people on a deeper level, you're probably really good at being a dispatcher and calming and getting, making sure everyone's like kept at bay. And went while they're waiting for the ambulance to come. But what's it like really in that moment? So um, I, I think Lady had, had talked about the adrenaline rush. Yeah. Um, I think in order to be in any part of the emergency medicine field, you do need to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Um, and dispatch is no exception because when your phone rings, you don't know what's going to come at the other right. end. And there is a bit of that adrenaline jump. Right. Um, when that happens, um, dispatch is kind of known as the first responder you never see. Right. Um, because they are actually the very first responder. Um, they're the ones taking the information. Um, we have strict protocols on how to get that information from the patient, what we need, 
Um, sometimes people are impatient. They're kind of right. like, just send someone. It's like, okay, but I need to know what apartment you're in. I can't just send someone. Right. <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, and I need to know what's going on also because right. our guys need to be prepared for different eventualities depending on what you tell me is happening. It's not always what's really happening, and the guys know that, but um, at least some basis for, for making decisions. Right. Um, so the other thing with dispatch is that we only have our ears. In other words, the guys who get to the scene, they have their eyes, they have their hands, they have their noses, they have is their this? ears. Noses, yeah, different. Sometimes there's different smells um, involved in like diabetes. Um, yeah. There's different. Um, so, so they have a lot of senses to work with and we only have what we hear. So, for example, we can get a call from a panicked parent who's saying, my baby's choking. Send someone quickly. My baby's choking. Right. And in the background, you hear crying of a baby. Now, if the baby's crying, the baby's not choking. Correct. But we have to ask, is that the baby you're talking about? Because mm-hmm. maybe there's right. um, very common, actually. Especially um, around so, here. Exactly. Um, so these are things that... that you learn. Um, you, you learn it as you're training. We have a very, very long and strict training protocol for dispatchers. Um, we don't promote people to dispatch very easily. Um, yeah, it's it's actually quite difficult because once the other thing with dispatch is that we do it from our homes. The Hatsala hotline gets transferred to the phone of whoever's on shift at that moment. So we're alone. We don't have, there's nobody else with us to kind of bounce things off of. Like the guys always go in teams. They never right. go alone to a call. Um, and it's, it's smart. It's for the patient's protection, right. you know, that there's always somebody else to look at things slightly differently, to think things through. Dispatch doesn't have that. You're working by yourself. You can always call somebody and try to, you know, bounce things off, but it happens, it has to happen very, very quickly. Hmm. Um, so there isn't really that that opportunity. So a dispatcher has to be fully independent before they can be launched off as, as a dispatcher. Right. Um, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. It seems like very. It seems like what's more intense, the EMT training or the dispatching training? Because I've heard, you know, I also with, with the EMT courses, it's also it, it's also very intense because you have to be very, you have to be very trained and you have to you have to do a lot of like. What like observation? You have to do all sorts of things. Is it the same when it comes to dispatch? Like, do you guys have like the the observation part of it as well? People come and watch what you're doing to make sure. It seems also very tense. It seems like it could be like you have to be like a calm person in order to be a dispatcher. You know. Right. So um, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> um, yes, it's it's. Um, I think the training is. It's not as varied, perhaps, as EMTs. EMTs need to know more stuff um, right. because what we really need to know is what do we hear is going on? Who do we like? Who do we send? How many do we send? Are there two patients, one patient? You know, what kind of call is this? Right. They're the ones who have to know what to do when they get there, obviously. But um, the training process is intense, and we do have. Um, it's not. We don't call it observation because we don't actually sit next to the person. We do training calls Mm -hmm. where we kind of either take actual calls that were recorded on our system um, and then play them and have the trainee 
kind of dispatch those calls as they heard them. Um, and that's that's great for that end. Sometimes we'll call in, like fake call to, to the trainee and have them um, answer the call and then pretend to dispatch it. Um, and then we have a shadow period, mm. which is a little more difficult to do because nobody's going to sit in someone else's house for a six-hour shift and wait for a call to come in. We get a lot of calls, but not enough to warrant that kind of block of time for somebody to just sit in one place and not do whatever it is they're meant to be doing during that time. Again, this is volunteer. Right. Um, so what we do is we have a shadow who knows their, they, their phone rings as well. When the call comes in, they don't answer it. They let the trainee answer the call. And then they're available by WhatsApp mm -hmm. for any questions. That's like the quickest way to do it. Okay. Um, and they listen in to what's going on on the radio. They'll WhatsApp suggestions to the trainee. They'll take over the radio if they feel it's going bad for, for whatever reason. Not that I've ever heard that actually happen, but that in theory could be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's basically how we try to, it's the best we can do in terms of um, the end stage of the training process. Wow, that's so interesting. So it's really intense. It's 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 really intense. And are you guys also like the? I know that Hatzal Bit Shemesh, and I'm sure other Hatzal organizations are also like this. They're very selective on who they take in terms of their EMTs. Are you guys the same way with your dispatchers? Are you very selective well, in terms of the type of people you want to be handling the calls? Yeah, I think. Uh, listen, if the VAD decides, um, they vet prospective volunteers, all the prospective volunteers, um, including our volunteer doctors, everyone gets vetted by the VOD. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what they're looking for, but my guess is team players, um, people who can learn to be, um, to, to work according to the Hatsala protocols and be willing to work within those protocols. Um, and just Hatsala becomes like a big family and we kind yeah. of want to choose who joins the family, I guess. Fair enough. Um, in a way. Well, that's really interesting. And so in your in your over 25 years of experience dealing with this, what is what is something like crazy that's ever what's one of the craziest calls you've ever taken? Um, as a dispatcher, um, there's been a lot. <laughs> um, I, I guess I I have to say that um, I think my very first call that I took as Atzala by Chemish Dispatcher sticks out in my head uh, because it was on a Cholomoy Sukkot probably five or six years ago. And the call came in at that point, about 70% of our calls were coming in in Hebrew. I think that percentage is no longer true, yeah. um, but it, it was. And the call came in in Hebrew, and the woman calling used a word for seizures that I didn't know. There are two words for seizures. I knew one of them, and I didn't know this word. Um, and she said it a few times, and then she said something about oxygen. Wait. So I knew something was very wrong, but I didn't know what, exactly what it was. So I just figured, let me get people there. Something's really wrong here. I don't know what it is. I can't quite catch it. Let me just get people out there. So I did. I put it out as what we call a code one, a very likely life-threatening situation. Mm -hmm. um, 
and guys got there very quickly and it turned out to be a very, very serious call um, with a child um, with a known seizure disorder, but who was seizing at that point for on and off for I think like an hour or so. It was like a, one of these really, really dangerous Boy. situations. Um, and I, I guess I had a couple of takeaways from that. I was shaking. I was shaking like while I'm I was sure. dispatching. It was my first call as, a, as an independent dispatcher. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. So I think my two takeaways were one, I needed to learn more Hebrew, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> and my second one was that my gut was right. In other words, my gut was telling me something based on the tone of the woman, based on what I could understand, based on my previous knowledge. Um, and, and, I, and it gave me the correct information in terms of the severity, in terms of um, what needed to happen. And I think I, I took that going forward. In other words, I often trust my gut. Mm -hmm. Just because the patient is frantic doesn't necessarily mean that the call is a code one emergency, um, quote unquote. Um, and, and just because they're not doesn't mean it's not. So learn to extract the right amount of information without taking too much time because anytime that we're on the phone with the patient is time that we're not dispatching the units. Right. They're, they're not, we can't do it simultaneously because we only have one mouth. So um, we, we have to kind of do that, you know, in sequence. Um, there are times when I'll get part information and start dispatching and then continue getting information. Um, if it's mamash, that level of, of life-threatening um, situation, but but yeah, just kind of knowing that that somewhere inside I do have that ability to differentiate what is and what isn't um, gave me a lot of kind of empowerment to to keep going. Rock a vote. That's really that's really impressive. And and you know you said it before that it it with with the dispatchers you guys are working with one you're working with your ears. You're not working with all five senses. You're working with your ears. So the fact that you're able to discern the situation, be able to like kind of like deal with the situation and assess what's going on, even with the fact that you didn't know that one word in Hebrew, it really shows how powerful you guys are and how how important you guys are to making sure that the situation gets taken care of and everybody does their job correctly. You know, I had a situation, not me personally, but um, with, well, I did actually recently, and you guys, Hatzalovich, I actually say, took care of me, but I was coming out like, yeah, I was walking to my office like a week and a half ago and I, I must have missed like three or four steps and I fell down the stairs. Wow. Yeah, the, the irony was I was actually, I was, I was in the middle of a conversation with David, with David Cohen. And so I, I picked myself up and I said, David, can you send an ambulance? And within five minutes, there was an ambulance there, um, which was, yeah. But no, I had it actually when I like, it was like maybe half a year ago, my neighbor, I was coming, I literally came home and I heard a pounding on the door and my neighbor was on the floor, like having some sort of like breathing issue, some sort of issue. And she was on the phone with the dispatch and I, and it was on speakerphone and whoever was doing the dispatch was extremely calm, extremely caring and extremely comforting to her while she was freaking out and having this whole issue. And then a whole team came and took care of her and she was forever grateful, you know, but like hearing the dispatcher, hearing the person on the phone, it was very, it, 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 it was started to calm her down, soothe her. And, and it's, it's really, you have, it's an art, 
it, you, I suppose it, you have to be like a real people person to do something like that, to be the, do this kind of job and have like that calm and caring personality. Because when you're dealing with people in their, in their, in, in this pressing time, in this, this like type of situation where like they're, they need like a calming voice and a calm, like a compassionate voice, then I think, you know, that that's like what you, what you guys would need to do. And it seems like you guys do it very well. I think that's important. I think the ability to keep calm ourselves when we're on the phone with the patient is important. Um, but we need to not get that mixed up with not being business-like. In other right. words, there's certain information that we need to get from them. Right. Um, 100%. I basically, I view it as I need them calm enough to be able to give me that information. Right. But that's, that's why I need them. Um, we will sometimes keep the patients on the phone until our units get there. Okay. Um, sometimes we don't. It really depends on, on what's going on. It's a very basic, you know, you're falling down the steps, fully conscious, able to tell me exactly where you are and what's happening. And, you know, maybe you hurt a, a limb or, or something like that. Um, I probably wouldn't keep you on the phone. If you were alone, nobody else around you, and you hit your head, I probably would keep you on the phone. Mm. Um, a child, we always keep on the phone. Um, there's certain criteria that we have for, for keeping people, you know, with, with us on the phone until units get there, just to make sure that nothing happens in the meantime. Right. Um, and then obviously once we have the information, we can move more into the, okay, don't worry, you know, people are on the way, it'll be okay. Like that kind of, but personally, I always am super business-like at the, at the very beginning of a call right. because I can be calm and whatever, but if I don't know where they live, it's not going to help them one exactly. way. No, for sure. I mean, I mean, again, it's all part of it, why you guys are so good at what you do is because you're able to take the situation and be exactly be businesslike, but also be that that voice of comfort that they need at their at the, in this time at this time of need. Um, so, one question I always ask everybody on the show is, what 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 advice would you offer somebody who's interested in joining Hatsala? Like, what's your what's your takeaways on Hatsala, and what is what advice would you offer somebody who's interested in whether joining becoming an EMT, becoming a dispatcher, a driver? Like, what would you say is some, What would you what kind of advice would you offer somebody? Um, I think that um, if we're talking about somebody with a spouse the spouse has to be on board. Um, this is a volunteer job and it can be fairly a fairly demanding one. Um, again, you know, as, as somebody who has worked admi administratively with volunteers, both in the States and here as, as coordinator, um, dispatch coordinator, I understand the balance between people, you know, having real lives things that they get paid for and things, obligations that they have in other areas. And yet, especially this type of volunteer job needs to be treated almost as a job because, right. you know, there are lives at stake and that's a very, very fine balance. Um, I don't think it will work without the support of whoever it is that's going to be picking up the slack um, when, when you're busy with this volunteer. Dispatch works six-hour shifts. Um, at a time, and and that can be pretty demanding. Um, you can't do it with your kids screaming in the background. Um, you need to have focus. Um, so so yeah, you need you need that support. If if there's going to be people begrudging you the time that you're giving to the organization, it's probably not going to work. Wow. Okay. That that's very that's very good food for thought. 
Um, and, you know, it, again, the whole dispatching world seems very cool. Like you're, you know, like, it seems very, it, it seems as intense, but also seems very cool to be like that, pe those people behind the scenes. Like you said, you're the EMT that no one sees, you know. And you don't have to put on your shoes. What? <laughs> and you don't have to put on your shoes. There you go. No shoes, no, ma no mask, no mask. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, there you go. Well, well, ZC, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I'm so happy that we got to sit down and talk to you and get a little bit more insight into your world as a dispatcher and to everything that you do for us all. I think it's really cool that you've been doing this for so long and that you have so much experience in it. You know, it's fun. You know, when we sit down with people um, on this show, you never know what what people like what people what what people's stories are. You know, like you know, when I sat down with in the first couple episodes when we ran when we did the first few episodes, you know, I had no clue that David Cohen was a emergency response coordinator. I had no clue that he did these things. And you know, when you you really get to learn people's stories and get to understand what they're doing, and your your history in EMS is is incredible that you that you did it in college and you really worked your way up, and now you're here doing this. How now? How often do you still are you still part of the dispatching team, or you said you kind of taken a step back? Um, so I stepped back from coordination, um, but I still volunteer as a dispatcher. I actually have a shift in an hour and a half, um, and uh, and I also coordinate the EFR program, the um, Emotional First Response program. So I kind of took on a different hat of coordination within Atzalavet Shemesh. Um, cause that's kind of more related to my professional field. Mm -hmm. It is related to my professional field. Um, and I hope that you have a chance to learn about it at some point, because it's actually a very, very nice recent addition to the Hatzel of HMish family. Um, and it's doing a lot of good stuff. Very cool. Well, you know, please God, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to hear more about that. And like I said, I'm very happy that we were able to sit down and do this. I learned a lot about dispatch. I learned a lot of things I didn't know about dispatch. And I hope our listeners, both in Israel and abroad, will get to get to learn more into this and potentially pick this up as something they want to do. You know, whether you're in Israel, whether you're in America, whether you're in any country and you want to join Hatsala and you, you know, maybe dispatching is for you. So I, like I said, I appreciate your insight as a seasoned professional and a veteran in this field. Um, it was really fun talking to you. And until next time. I wish you all the best and tremendous Hatsalaka. You've just listened to another great episode of the Hatsala Cast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our show on all major podcasting platforms. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and stay tuned every week as we reveal a new episode of the Hatsala Cast. And remember, if you need help, call your local EMS or Hatsala organization. Stay safe and stay tuned.